Welcome everyone to the Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Marvel Cinematic Community podcast. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Why? The Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek for episodes 101 and 102 are two part pilot television premiere. Matt is sponsored by the good folks at the NSA, which stands for not special at all for the <laughs> scenes that did not appear in IMAX. Ooh. More on that in a moment, Pete. First, two programming notes. The first one, literally a programming note. Don't forget, eager and energetic Inhumans fans, that though this double build episode uh, aired at 8 p.m. Uh, next week, it's in its normal time slot, moving to 9 p.m. for these next six weeks of its uh, of its limited series special sizzle run. Yes, we're seeing suddenly in the advertising, Matt, the complete series. So there is a feeling that there's kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that might be the end of it. But again, ratings will tell. Um, the the IMAX. Let me just add, Pete, there was a a completely disingenuous article making the rounds today Mm -hmm. that uh, it, it took a Scott Buck. And look, we've taken Scott Buck to task before, but he gave a very... Uh, optimistic and generic statement a quote saying we have ideas for season two you know it's left off where more things could happen if such a thing ever to occur we always look to the future things like that and the article was season two planning underway no spoiler Mm -hmm. alert everyone at the end of inhumans they're not killing everyone okay cool There's there's gonna be the potential for more if the network wants to do so Correct. And again, you vote with your views. Uh, You vote with how big a deal you make out of this show. Uh, It certainly is trending tonight on Twitter. That's a positive sign. Will people come back? That's a question. Um, But I I think we have good things to talk about with tonight's episode and, and some questions to ask. We do. Definitely. To sum up before we dive on in. A more positive experience than uh, than let's say we had at IMAX. But Pete, before we dive on in, let's talk about the other thing that we are podcasting. I, of course, refer to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, where we are off to a rip roaring start with those two episodes. Pete, hashtag it's all connected. Two episodes <laughs> of Star Trek given up uh, at the same night. Two episodes of Inhumans. We're living in just this beautiful age. It's all it's all possible. It's all in space, too. Our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, which could be as soon as seven weeks out. So uh, the final frontier, uh, the oft-visited frontier, says I. With that, let's get to our Royal Digest. Pete, this episode starts with Agents in Space. Oh, wait, no. Inhumans in Space. We go from the shot of space all the way down to slow motion. We get some Hawaii action. We also get some heavy, heavy exposition. The female character on the run, perhaps not the best actor in the bunch, but we all start somewhere, Pete. Uh, she's reacting here with the exposition. What has happened to me? And uh, the person who will be introduced as Triton says, uh, it's it's the you know, terrogenesis and you're changing, you're becoming an inhuman, so on and so forth. 
uh, but Pete, they're they're quickly on the run. There's also there's there's bad guys afoot just around the bend. Yes, and the the carryover from the IMAX presentation with the up close of the gun and the uh, the leaf the with rain on it and the boot and this and everything there in in slow motion and okay I, I thought it came off slightly better on my TV than it did on yeah. my IMAX yeah. screen. I I agree because it. There's nothing in those shots that's particularly cinematic, and that's not a slam at it at all. This was, again, I found myself time and time again, even with you know some of the sticking points, this was better on TV. Um, but regardless, Pete, they are being chased. Uh, they're being shot at. Nay, they are both hit. I have to remember, or I have to, 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 uh, to say, Pete, that I did not remember that they were both hit. Regardless, though, Pete, it appears it appears that the young lady with the cat eyes is uh, is down for the count. We, of course, have Triton trying to make, you know, trying to make his uh, his way out of there. Um, my notes then say that the problematic shot of the waterfall looks better. Actually, it's the second shot of the waterfall that doesn't look great, but it looks better on TV, where it just really looked bad in IMAX. I don't know if that is because it they moved in IMAX. It it physically yeah. moved on. Uh, you know, the island where it was positioned. So, okay, be- better around this time. Again, you know, to not be so exposed on a big screen, on your, your tinier screen, that it, it looks a little bit better. Pete, with that, I'd, I'd like to talk to all, all the ladies in the audience. We cut to Adelan. There's some smooching. There's some, some hair tendrils moving. Pete, is this Fifty Shades of Red Hair? I don't know about all of that, uh, but we talked about it when we saw this in IMAX. We'll, we'll say it here that the hair has gotten better from the promotional stage. Uh, that being said, it's the wig that remains the, the biggest issue. When it is on screen, you can't help but pay attention to it. Uh, I remember one of our pals from New York Comic Con who uh, who works in the uh, works in the wig industry uh, once did a uh, did a uh, not a Facebook live but like an Instagram live whatever the cool kids call that and her comment was you know if it, you could spend thirty thousand dollars on a wig and have a crew of five who needs to tend to it the entire time that's on the Game of Thrones end. So if you're not doing that, that you know quickly, what's what's the ten thousand dollar wig with a team of two? What's the eight thousand dollar wig? This is all phenomenal amounts of money to to those of us in the real world, but in the world of TV and film, you know, you go for the five thousand dollar wig, you're gonna pay the price for that, just as you might pay the price for for any lesser tools. But here, Pete, you know, here, here after some some unkindness, here's some kindness for this scene. Um, we talk every single time when there is uh, particularly a pilot episode uh, or even just whenever new things are introduced, a new storyline, a new character, whatever it is, there's that necessity of exposition. Somebody has to have the unnatural conversation where you introduce things and recap things where in the real world you don't, you know, you don't, you don't come home to your wife and say, I am home from my job at office where I do things. You know, it's just, it's known here. It's it's good exposition. We get the movement of her hair established. Pete, the fact that they're smooching shows that they're in love. She uh, references, you know, what was life like before we were king and queen? 
it's not a bad way to establish that they are king and queen. And the fact that Black Bolt doesn't talk, that is all established too, before the camera has to move away, baby. We go from those close quarters to a wide shot of uh, of Adelan. It looks good, Pete. The effects are still, you know, th- th- we said that for the IMAX as well. Um, Adelan, you know, behind the, uh, the the hollow wall that makes it appear to be sky and then, uh, you know, pulls out. You're actually on the moon. All good stuff here. Same thing for the title card. I like that you get kind of the, the comic logos of the characters. It's a little kind of comic booky for the way they tend to do things on shows like this. But I dig it. These are, you know, gods living on the moon, essentially. It's all good fun. And then, Pete, we move to the, the Wii Moon Rover. It's trying, Pete. It's got its little, its little wheels up. But bonk, bonk. Pete, it cannot cross that line. It can't. And this is the thing that really jumpstarts our plot. Um, we've, we've got this. It gets uh, spotted by, of course uh something and taken out i believe that's and, the calypso aerospace control center yeah um w- and which i don't know that that was ma- i don't know that that was confirmed on screen in imax i'm not sure i about did that, not I think so. notice that no i think we had uh nsa as a uh as a blanket uh you know uh agency um listed in imax which is fine. They, they still got the, the idea across, and, and now there's a little bit more. Um, but obviously, this piques their interest, and uh, I, here's where we begin with some of the new material. Yeah, indeed, Pete. This is the this in IMAX was just, oh man, you know, the man back on Earth, or in this case, the woman, but you know, the fuzz, they've discovered something funny going on in the moon. Um, here it's the introduction of of someone who for this for these two episodes surprise surprise is an ongoing character Pete what is her name That would be Ellen Waglum's Louise Matt Ah yes indeed <laughs> a character who's got as I said a little bit more a little bit more oomph in the, in the TV offering here Back though we go to Adelan Pete people love our fair king and queen everyone is waving look the king and queen they say uh we do get some maximus kind of lurking amidst everyone but with that pete they go to what i like to call what i'm going to affectionately call because of my love for the batman 66 series they go to the king cave i know it's a cave (laughs) because they go down the stairs in this interestingly lit stairwell um there's psychic water people like um uh like in minority report None of them say murder, death, kill, or none of them right. really move from the water, but they have a function of of a sort, even if they're just set dressing. Because Pete, I'm not trying to be mean here. It's a cool visual, even though I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it, Pete. I'm human. They're inhuman. They are inhuman. The the hoodie wearing people who I think watch security footage or just sit there and ignore the world. Uh, here we get uh, the introduction of Gorgon. We see his hoof, and uh, he, he's brought the rover with him. It's added to the rover co- uh, collection, and uh, references made to uh, to him being the leader of the Royal Guard. Again, you know, props props to this episode. They're slipping in some of this exposition in very uh, very convenient points. 
Uh, we get Karnak uh, chastising Gorgon. Look, there's a little bit of a blurry hoof in there. He says, oh, it's no big deal. Pete, in IMAX, it was no big deal. Stick a pin in that for one moment. Um, I just want to point out that uh, Ken Lung playing Karnak, his performance continues to kind of be good. You will learn as the episode goes on. He's a bit of a killjoy and a bit of a bit of a sour person, uh, but uh, there's a there's a sincerity to his performance. There is. I really enjoyed the levity, the sarcasm that he brought, particularly in a dire situation. Pete, do you think that? Ken Lung's uh, character in the Star Wars universe is going to be bigger in uh, in in Episode uh, Nine now that J.J. Abrams uh, is is returning. Just as a quick aside, of course. I mean, I think we can all agree Greg Grunberg will be in it, and then uh, maybe Ken Lung. Excellent. Well, anyhow, Pete, are you are you sitting down, Pete? Always. Are you ready for a new scene? Because we go back to the Calypso Aerospace Control Center. Okay, oh. we're going to call that CACC for short, the CACC. They are looking at that footage. You know, reference was made, oh, there's just a little bit of the hoof. They're looking at it and they're saying, this is weird. It looks like a hoof. They're on Earth starting to investigate what's going on. It actually makes it better because it's a little bit of a funny because back on the moon, they just said, stupid humans never will figure this out. People are on the case, Pete. They are. And, uh, you know, getting more of this on TV, I think we have to ask, why couldn't we get that in IMAX? Um, I think here might be a short answer. Maybe somebody on the IMAX side said, seeing this character of Louise, this is a multi-episode arc. And what she does in these two episodes is so, so meager that it, it'll, it'll be confusing to IMAX audiences that are here looking for just the, uh, you know, just the, just the good stuff. Now, that said, when this is all over, this, these two episodes, we still are, you know, we still have many miles to go before we sleep. We still have characters in a dire situation and, and uh, things not resolved. So I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's weird because she's a good she's a good addition. Yeah, and particularly the way that they use her throughout the episode. You think of the scene where she's landed in Hawaii and getting into the cab over the radio. We hear the uh, incident report of Black Bolt uh, flipping over the cop car. So. Yeah, you just wonder, was it a, a runtime situation? Like, all right, we, we got to have this in IMAX for, you know, 70-something minutes as opposed to, okay, you know, we're, we're going to run 88 minutes, two hours on, on broadcast, and we got to fill that time on its own network? I, I just don't know. It's, it's a question I have. I, I don't know either because I find my – the fact that she's weaving in and out of the story and quite frankly, the fact that she is, she is the audience. She is the Winston Zeddemore. She is the one saying, this is ridiculous, but I think, you know, just as we sit and go, oh, it's more powered people in suits that, you know, it's all kind of ridiculous, but you get, you, you believe it. She believes in these people too. 
I don't know. Anyhow, Pete, let's get back to the story here. We get as as we move back to Adelan, we get some intercutting with the uh, the with the uh, Callisto Aerospace Control Center (CACC). Um, but uh, back on Adelan, indeed, we go. It's established that Maximus um, is an human, even though he is powerless. Uh, I know some people on Twitter were saying, "Oh man, just wait until he reveals his true power," which uh, is an interesting take. Um, but uh, anyhow, Maximus says that they should be proactive. They should get to Earth. And Pete Black Bolt just glowers at him. Um, and with that, Pete, we get more CACC. They're still investigating some stuff. And uh, again, there's kind of this, there's this interplay between the two storylines that, of course, the Inhumans are not aware of. But yes, they should be proactive at least from their perspective, because we see the CACC investigating more. So there is this, you know, unbeknownst to the Inhumans on the moon, there is a search that presumably at some point would end up finding the Inhumans. So if they need to protect their own way of life, they need to act first. Whether we agree or disagree, that's going on, and it adds extra oomph to the story. The contrast of the royal drama with the corporate or even the workplace drama, again, much more effective in its juxtaposition than just the royal stuff. It felt so heavy when we saw this in a theater. This felt a little lighter, though it was longer, which is unusual. Yeah, it is amazing. Because what what was the difference? I mean, it was something like nine minutes or eight minutes added. I right? think it was a little bit longer than that. I I think it was in the area of of the teens, low teens, that they added. So, certainly, most of what was added. It wasn't like oh man, big battle in the middle. You know, it was even with some of this CACC stuff. It's you know forty five seconds there. It's you come back for another ninety seconds or two minutes, that kind of thing. Um, point being, it's not, it's not like, oh, there's a whole storyline we didn't see where, 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 where the, the high priest genetic guy, uh, you know, was dead and then not quite dead yet. And they had to really beat him up or something like that. And then he was truly dead. You know, it's all stuff. This is all stuff that adds, adds to the vibrancy of the story. I don't, I, I don't get the, the removal here, but anyhow, Pete, let's go to the terror Genesis scene has this feeling almost of you know it's graduation it's a bar mitzvah it's a bat mitzvah it's overtones almost of a wedding i don't know if this is supposed to be a couple um but there they are they're going to get exposed to uh to to the crystals we get some exposition explaining you know terogenesis and uh, a really really funny moment that, that i know was in the imax but did not stick with me where karnak I was just talking about ultimately the nothingness of the future. Oh, one day, all oh, every star will turn into a black hole, and there will just be the great void, and everything <laughs> will end. And Black Bolt just turns around and silences him with a look. Uh, of course, if I was wearing a funny knit crown thing, I would probably silence people too. I don't know, Pete. Yeah. Um attempt at levity there not as successful but appreciated appreciated um outside the palace uh crystal sees lockjaw it still is a funny scene where they're playing with perspective Mm -hmm. where there's a pooch over there and then he's coming closer and then pete 
rattle, rattle as he comes. And he gets, you know, he's now this giant dog. Uh, gee whiz, Pete, she's late for the Terragenesis wedding, so we get to see his teleporting ability. That's exposition, kids. Uh, and Show then don't tell. He promptly leaves. Do you know why, Pete? Because he's expensive. He's a computer-generated <laughs> dog, Pete. He can't stick around. Well, so he's, he he's big, too. You know, he eats a lot. Uh, you you can't true. necessarily have him there. Um, but, again, to to show us him, uh, to show his power, to show us what Terragenesis is, apart from the explanation, the exposition, at the beginning of the show, far more effective here as we're ramping up. It, uh, it, it definitely is. And again, some of it, you know, as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, you're like, oh, I know all this stuff. I mean, okay, fair. New viewers might not. Or, you know, people who, I mean, you know, we're now, I mean, I know that we, we had, we had Terragenesis occurring in, in this last season of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was a major story point at the end of season, season two, two, right? All season, season three, season we had two. Joey turning and whatnot. So I mean, it's like, yes. it, 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 you know, this is not this is not a place to complain about when they are making sure that everybody understands the the rules of their their world and their fiction. Absolutely. Uh, the 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 revealing scene is good. Uh, the young lady, she's a flyer. Gorgon loves flyers. Uh, the gentleman, uh, Rajda, I believe his name is. He just kind of feels the same. Um, Maximus touches him, and the boy convulses. He he lets out. The knowledge that he sees the future and it it's scary but nobody puts two and two together that might be his power pete as we get to the act break right the snakes they're 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 grabbing you maximus they're they're throwing you to the wall uh it's it seems maximus might really be connected with walls <laughs> after the act break uh we have in, in, a, in a rather um boxy area which is to say it's a scene where you can put a certain number of extras and make it look like a lot of people but not like so many people um this is where where the two young people are revealed what are their powers the commoners the the poor people want to know what's what uh she is pretty and with wings and and, and that's all good and then uh, as for the young man uh, he just says i, I had a seizure so there is the great line, and here, all right, I'm being a little, being a little, little sassy towards Scott Buck throughout this episode. We get the line, "To the mines you go." Yes, <laughs> and uh, though it is couched, well, hey, he's still gonna undergo the genetic testing because there might be some latent uh, inhumanity we're not quite picking up on. Um, they pretty much shout. Maximus down too, like, hey, you should be in the mines too. Um, but this is where we see his, his real power is manipulation. Uh, he says that if they were to go to Earth, uh, it would be glorious. They would have lands to live on. Imagine that. And the transition, Matt, to uh, the dinner scene here and uh, the the first tease of Karnak's powers, which are, shall we say, nebulous at best? Indeed. Let's just dial back for one second back to the end of that Maximus scene. These two episodes have me wondering who I want to root for. Do I want to root for 
handsome Anson Mount, who I who I hope I age into looking just like him, uh, maybe with some of the uh, the hell on wheels longer hair and, and whatnot and smoldering eyes, um, you know, hanging out with Medusa and whatnot in the boudoir. Or do I want to be like um, do I want to be like Maximus, who wants to give power to the people, take them out of their stifling caste system, take them out of their awful work conditions, and help them live in a place which at least gives them more opportunity, more freedom, more openness? I know that it is implied he is saying, and we shall do so at the expense of the humans, but it's never like he says, and we're going to kill them all. It's just kind of like we're going to go to Earth, maybe I don't know. Hawaii and just hang out and have a nice time in Hawaii. I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be rooting against here. The guy that wants to end, you know, uh, caste segregation or the guy who's got the smoking hot redhead wife. Well, we'll see who winds up on our list a little later on. Anyhow, to that dinner scene. Um, uh, Two and a half days, Matt. That's all he gives this comely young lady. Yes, certainly a uh, yes. That scene of Karnak flirting with the serving wench goes from flirty to kind of brutal and fatalistic. Um, and, and again, okay, so Pete, first introduction here of Karnak. Karnak can, it appears, kind of uh, accurately predict the future. Is that the vibe you're getting from this scene? Maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, Pete, I'm sure they're going to develop it. Let's stick a pin in that for now. Let's let the let the story unfold. You know, we had some people say we were a little mean about Iron Fist. We're just looking at this step by step here, building it up, building blocks of a universe. Um, also, want to say this dining hall. And I know we said this when we discussed it in IMAX. This dining hall looks a lot nicer than the previews uh, made it out to be. Also, some props just to kind of classic Star Trek use of of props all the food container all the all the liquid containers from which soup or wine is served they're square some of the soup bowls are lit from below it's effective on the cheap and here i'm not saying cheap is a slam i'm just saying right pete i don't know i don't drink my royal table wine out of a square wine decanter i, I use one that's like all around and stuff they're square because they're on the moon, man. It's interesting to look at, and it's difficult to fabricate things for this show given that it's an alien society. So you've got to take things that exist um, and, and make them look different, and then you've got to invent some new things um, that people haven't seen and, and put them on there. But uh, while Gorgon is, uh, you know, really kind of scoffing at uh, how brutal um, Karnak can be, we have Maximus interrupt the mirth here with the news that Triton is dead. And then he brings in his 4K OLED uh, eye friend. Uh, he does. That's Duodon. Uh, who has eyes that, as it turns out, project holographs in the 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio, which I believe, Pete, is the aspect ratio used in um, as the, the, the standard U.S. widescreen cinema standard, also on TV. Doesn't that work out well? 
it works out well in that they're able to show us on the wall there the projection of what happened in uh, Triton's last moments there. Um, and then Medusa translates for Black Bolt the reason why he sent him to Earth. This was about Terragenesis. He wants to bring back the Inhumans who uh, have gone through it there. And Maximus wonders if this is really the best thing for Adelan uh, to increase their population, given that we know they're they're kind of walled in, Matt, in a in a tiny area. And there's there's issues with labor and, uh, you know, how the uh, how the spoils are, are shared. So is Maximus, you know, is he happy with the wall? Does he want to knock down the wall? Does he want to build a new wall somewhere else? It's, it's as you said, it's a little bit uh, nebulous. Um, though Maximus has tried to create a wedge in the room, uh, Black Bolt being Medusa, of course, saying, trust your king. Uh, Maximus leaves and Karnak tells Black Bolt he, he needs to watch his brother, keep mm-hmm. an eye on your brother. Well, that's going on, Pete. If I may recommend to Black Bolt, you should check out Game of Thrones, too. He was really good in that, too. <laughs> Uh, but he reminds, um, Black Bolt, Karnak does, that Maximus has the ear of the people, but affirms, reaffirms his loyalty there, never doubt that. Um, and it's here that, uh, Medusa again translating, uh, for Black Bolt to Gorgon says that he's sending him on a rescue mission. This is not revenge, takes the gun there and, and some things are so important. Uh, Black Bolt has to shake his head no by pointing at the gun. That's how we know uh, what's uh, going on there. Yeah. Can we ever and, really decode such a language piece with and, pointy finger to gun and head shaky no? Well, Lockjaw, uh, you know, takes us away from all of that like some Calgon, Matt, and uh, takes Gorgon away um, and the knowledge that if there's anyone who can, uh, you know, find Triton and, and help out, it's got to be Gorgon as we go into the act break. After the act break, Pete, we're still on the moon. Uh, Black Bolt and Medusa walks. It, it, Pete, it's, all, it's your standard TV walk and talk, except she does all the talking. Um, she intuits or they communicate on their special level that he needs some time alone to think so he walks right into his his special thinking pod um this allows a flashback to young medusa hanging out with a young black bolt um hair not as red there definitely dying it in her uh, older incarnation also you know i we were all children once pete this young actress playing young medusa Let's just say, keep keep taking those classes. Uh, in the present day, though, Maximus uh, sees her uh, kind of hanging out there in the hallway. He is sympathetic. He's talking about if Medusa was his queen, uh, then Pete, he'd be styling. But she considers that to be out of line. Still, though, Pete, he's, he's pushing in that creeper kind of way. He and Medusa, they were a team once. They were best friends. They had Pete, I think he wanted fun. to be more than friends. Yeah. Uh, and suddenly the, the hair peaks up here when, when we when we're rooting for it, Matt, <laughs> uh, given the, the subtext 
and uh, chokes him out there. Um, and uh, th- that's when uh, the words from uh, the the young man who went through the pterogenesis really come back to him here. The snakes were all over you. They threw you against the wall. Um, it's at this point that we meet the head of the genetic council. Um, and he's with, uh, Maximus and Oran, and he's heard about the earth Rover. Uh, and this is a scene we did not see in IMAX. And I thought of any of the scenes that we see this enhanced, uh, the, the first two episodes the most. It is a reminder, and I don't know where the story is headed from here. I was kind of joking before, ooh, who do I root for? You know, in this topsy-turvy world, Pete, I'm okay not knowing whether, you know, uh, the guy in charge is the villain or the insurgency is the villain or, you know, that's fine. Also, if we're going to do this thing for eight episodes, you don't need to have white hat, you know, a hero and black hat villain in the first episode. That's This is all good here. This scene hammers home the threat to their way of life again and i'm okay repeating it because it just shows hey guys you have to get on board here humanity is coming um maximus wants to go to earth um and he has said all this before but uh the the conviction of it all is it's a powerful presentation here and it just hammers home that maximus is ready to wage a civil war for the people not for the status quo the aristocracy, etc., despite him being one. Turns out the young man has made a prediction here, too, for what, what was the character's name, this uh, genetic councilman? That was Katang. Katang. Sounds like uh, he might, might be a Klingon in another life. <laughs> Something about a, a beautiful river, um, you know, that, that, you know, doesn't quite make sense. We're, we're again, not sure what is uh, going on. Um, it, it's the, the type of thing where the, the councilman uh, wants uh, uh, Aura to, or, to arrest him. And instead she turns and she kills him. Um, Maximus ends the scene there that he's talking to a dead man resting in a beautiful river. And it also adds heft to the character of Iran because now we've seen A, where her loyalties lie, B, her kind of cold-blooded efficiency, uh, the fact that she seems to be acting of her own accord. You know, she had every opportunity. We, we don't know. We can, we can figure an implied backstory that her and Maximus have talked about the future and wait until the right time and whatnot. But she could have said, no, 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 I'm going to arrest Maximus. Um, she's, she's, you know, she doesn't have... Uh, a family that's being held hostage or something like that. She's in on this from the ground up and that's incredibly informative to her versus, you know, Terminator kind of killing creature that we saw in IMAX. We get the act break and then Pete, we go to Hawaii. Uh, Gorgon is on the trail. Uh, That's intercut with, uh, with the Royal guard. What what I'll call the Royal guard because they are, but more on that in a moment. They're, getting uh to take over the the king cave that communication room that has the water that's intercut with uh maximus what uh kind of looking at the throne watching the throne it's his time and then pete there's a goon squad that's why i'm delineating here the royal the royal guard royal squad 
is up in Adelan. The goon squad is out to get Gorgon and a fight happens. Yeah. Um, and this is where they bring in the, uh, the cover song there. We've got, uh, break on through playing. Um, I, I think you cement the Gorgon, um, Karnak relationship too, even though they're in different locations by seeing them take on the threat simultaneously. Um, you know, we had Karnak before messing around with the drone. They're still using the lithium batteries, silly earthlings. Um, and then it gives Gorgon a chance with, um, the, uh, the guys coming up on him, telling them, you know, you shouldn't approach from downwind. Um, but here again, uh, let's, let's spin the wheel, Matt. What are Karnak's powers? He's offered a choice here. He loves choices. Uh, as Gorgon is, uh, fighting these guys on earth, uh, Karnak fights these guys, ultimately gets shot in the belly, falls in a little pool there. Uh, wait a minute. I'm dead, but now I can rethink this and redo it and get another life and then shoot the guy and the other guy in the gut. And he goes in the pool. Huh? They should have never given him a choice. So they seem to overly emphasize the choice. Okay. My takeaway was that it's some sort of temporal rewind power, which uh, that's what I'm going with, that he can he can have it happen and then travel back in time ever so briefly to prevent it from happening. That's kind of where I'm at now. Now, what does that have to do with him seeing the future with the lady, the serving wench? Uh, I guess that's kind of time-related too, but the connection certainly is not clear. What is clear is that Karnak is on the move He's saying, move, get out the way, get out the way. Uh, he calls Crystal. Pete, she's listening to music on her headphones like the kids do, listening to their rocking and rolling music. Uh, so Karnak arrives because she wasn't answering her phone. Pff, had it on silent. Kids these days, you know what I mean? Scott Buck knows what's up. Kids just listen to their music in their rooms. As they're uh, freezing balls with their hands. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Karnak arrives. Uh, he tells her about the threat. Lockjaw then takes Karnak away. He returns. Pete, great act end in which Crystal says, let's find Medusa to end the act. <laughs> we come back there, Matt, and uh, we have Medusa uh, contacting Black Bolt. Something is happening. So that means it's time for another another classic cover song. This time, Paint It Black which you didn't remember because I think you might have painted blacked out when we saw this in IMAX. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a decent fight. Uh, she gets overcome by the Royal Guard. Actually, if anything, the blue kind of shocky knockout light I thought was brighter in this than I remembered in IMAX, but you know, whatever. It was, uh, Pete, it was one month ago uh, tonight, wasn't it? Give or take, right? Yeah. Tomorrow. Just about. Uh, yes, 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 of course. Math and such. Um, anyhow, um, Maximus tells her, Pete, in either we're going for deep metaphor here or we are playing with dangerous story tools. Maximus then tells her that what has happened is her fault. He then 
takes out those buzzers, pushes her down to her knees, removes her hair. No joke, no quip here. This is an uncomfortably sexualized scene in my view. And I don't, I mean, if you're going for the metaphor of he is assaulting her for revenge of her not picking up on his advances earlier, you know, in a prior scene or, or in prior portions of their life, I can respect that as a storytelling point. To me, it is incongruous with the general superpower kind of fun that we're having with some dark overtones of, you know, family civil war to have a moment here where we're going to do that kind of metaphor to me, to me, it's not the going to the metaphor that is inappropriate. It's what you do with it. What you do with it is show him really kind of into it and her really upset. Yeah. And I don't get, I don't, I don't, I don't get the story benefit there's no lesson learned this is not jessica jones where we see a a story of uh, of triumph over your abuser and and things of that sort it's just like he's assaulting her and it's not fun i don't think the casting of iwan rion helps here given the way they play the scene given what this actor did with ramsey bolton on game of thrones and uh, another redheaded young lady. So, um, you know, it, it really kind of all comes to the fore there. The end result, Matt, is that poor Medusa is shorn of her locks, her power. Um, she's, she's there, bald, defenseless, on the floor. And now for Black Bolt. Indeed, I think there's a line, uh, Maximus refers to her as left shamed and powerless, which had not made my ears uh, jump up when we saw it in IMAX. That's kind of rather specific language where if we're tying it back to the metaphor of an assault, it it doesn't help the situation here if suddenly we're going for this very specific and very horrible metaphor. And I don't mean horrible like it was poorly done. The metaphor was very potently done it's just not this it's out of place with the rest of the show and then in uh (laughs) in concert with the following scene matt where maximus confronts his brother in the little uh circle quiet room uh the the bowl um as crystal gets to uh medusa because apparently without hair she's not a threat whatsoever and no one's gonna guard her at all she's not important um and and lock jaws her out of there um we have uh maximus telling his brother here what what are you gonna kill me like you killed our parents and we get that flashback which i still think did not play well from a tonal standpoint followed following up on what just happened with medusa yeah i mean it's like there's this story box that needs to be checked for us to understand why uh why black bolt has taken this vow of silence but i don't understand i mean to me it's not an effectively checked box just to complete that as as a metaphor so he has this terrible power which he accidentally used I mean, I, I certainly I feel bad for him, but it's kind of like all teenagers make dumb mistakes. He happened to have the superpower where if you dare speak, then you kill people. 
so there's a limit to how bad I feel for him because that's like saying, you know, oh, you grew up in a gun factory and you had a gun and then you fired it. Like, you know, here not, we're back to shame. We're back to shame because of what you are, um, as a as a through line. But I I think it's less than effectively uh, stated. True enough, indeed. Uh, this is at the point where Maximus calls for his guard to fire. He's going to take out his brother after all. With that, Lockjaw arrives, takes Black Bolt away. And uh, it's at this point, Pete, that we click to the top of the hour. So then this two-hour presentation, we click to the top of the hour. Still remaining, as there was with IMAX, we get flashbacks as to what happened previously on Lost in Humans. Except it was five minutes ago. It wasn't last week. So people don't need to ponderously remember what happened. How did yeah. Karnak get on top of the mountain? We just saw it. The voiceover dialogue repeated from yeah. earlier makes it doubly distracting. Um, but we have a, a panorama of shots here. We even get superimposed identifications of settings we have oahu hawaii which is actually we're looking at diamond head um off to uh the the side of uh um honolulu we have uh karnak who uh is is on top of the the one uh cliff there he laments that uh, lockjaw is a stupid dog He's not. He's a lovable, gigantic dog. Don't say <laughs> anything about We can all agree Lock that Lockjaw is a great character. Come on. Yes. Okay. We have Gorgon on the beach with his hooves. Um, and then we get downtown Honolulu, Matt, where Black Bolt arrives in traffic with Lockjaw. Uh, again, all the peppering of, of the voiceover uh, dialogue from before. Uh, there's crashes. Black Bolt grabs an iPhone after a woman has taken a picture. The, uh, the cabbie that, uh, has just been in an accident, uh, you know, admonishes him for doing that. Hey, you can't run off. And then we have crystal now captive in black bolts thinking bowl. <laughs> um, and uh, it's around this time where uh, Lockjaw has returned to Adeline. He's taken out but alive. Uh, Maximus then FaceTimes, Skypes everybody on Adeline using the you know, overhead projection system, tells them everything is okay. The royal family has left, but he's the calming voice. Uh, Medusa learns that Black Bolt is on Earth too. I believe this is the scene where they kind of communicate one way, and he's never had to voice communicate. He's never had to sound communicate with their voice communicators. Like, let me tap Atlantilian Morse code or something like that. But she hears his heart. I will say, while it's perhaps not the most elegant solution, it is one that is uh, no pun intended. It, it is from the heart. It is heartfelt. So, and I did not pick up on it in IMAX at all. So this felt new to me although i'm sure it was there maybe played up a little bit more here what the, the heartbeat yeah yeah um well regardless uh she, she there she is in the in the wilderness she comes across a tour group she takes a bus back to the city 
There's a jerk eating an apple. In retrospect, Pete, this whole find the bus, ride the bus, it, it, it's a tad long, particularly with, I mean, Pete, there's the trope that only jerks eat apples. Nothing happened to this guy. It was he. It it was the knife and not the apple that was that was meant to capture our eye. There you um, go. Elsewhere, we have Karnak. He decides he's going to start to hike to find his king, and he quickly falls and hits his head. Yeah, and uh, it's going to make it all the more confusing to try to figure out what his problems are now that they're apparently broken. Uh, meanwhile, Arin is uh, spreading. Uh, or sorry, she's saying that uh, the word is spread about the royal family fleeing. Maximus, of course, is going to calm it. Um, Crystal tells him that he can't sit there on the throne um, and uh, wants to know where Lockjaw is, where her family is. And I think in a, a really interesting speech here, Maximus talks about royal privilege. Um, and though she tells him, Crystal, that uh, he makes her sick, he points out that she's young, she's pretty, she's a princess, but uh, pretty soon she won't be protected from tragedy as we head into the act break. Indeed, the notion that uh, things are changing, they're not going to change back. He's seen as the bad guy, but he wants her to understand I will say that, you know, it's it's character um, character shading here. We have Gorgon following uh, Triton's trail. There are some flashbacks, you know, because previously on Lost in Humans, um, the trail takes him into the water, um, which still is slightly incongruous. I imagine we're going to pick that up in future episodes, but time will tell. Uh, turns out, Pete, you know what it's like. People with hoofs, they can't swim. He's drowning. Luckily, he's saved by a bunch of talented local actors who also can surf <laughs> and act. Um, and he, you know, he, he, you know, they say, you're one of them. And he says, no, you're one of them. Pete, it, it's, it's showing that we can, we can knock down walls, build bridges. He says that he's from the moon. And there, Pete, that's kind of cool that this bra's from the moon, yo. It's okay. They are, uh, you know, they could have treated him as a uh, Howley. Instead, they're treating him as a brother. We go back with our uh, NSA people here. We have uh, Louise, who's been triangulating uh, the signal uh, to Oahu. Um, and her boss here is worried about their rover, but she's detected four distinct energy signatures that all went in the vicinity of Hawaii. Um, you know, the, the smashed Rover be damned, um, that there's, uh, you know, visitors afoot Matt and Louise, who's been regarded, uh, as brilliant, but nutty. Um, she's relieved of her duty by her boss, but instead, uh, maintains, oh, I'm going to take the time off here so she's in control of her destiny. This is another, I mean, it's not monumentally critical, but this is another scene that adds so much. Pete, Louise is not my enemy in the story, but she's the enemy of the Inhumans. So the fact that she is still pursuing this continues to add 
indirect pressure or it's adding pressure to the story, if not to, you know, Maximus's uh, motives and whatnot. But it's adding pressure to the story to say people in Adelan do need to act. Regardless, though, Pete, we cut to Karnak. This is going to be an easy scene. No deep delving here. He wakes up. He's cut his head. Now his previously established powers of GPS don't work, and he's he's lost, right? This is in line with what we've seen before. Because he had GPS before, right? He had internal GPS, and, and his compass worked. Again, I'm completely confused in in terms of the scope of his power i know that on the press junket there was an open argument amongst journalists what are his powers what is his power um so fine whatever it's broken <laughs> we get it it's not working uh, press junket which let us mention uh jeff Loeb ended 10 minutes early yes did not which go is away. unheard of. They always fill the time, and then he goes climax and good night, everybody. Scene. Guy yeah. in the back lights all the way up. There will be no encore. Speaking Anyhow, of Pete, climax, take, Matt, take us take us on the bus, Pete. Medusa is sad on a bus. Moving right along. <laughs> well, we will hold on, Pete. She looks at her reflection, her shorn hair. It is a potent acting moment for for uh, for the Swan. I I had my notes say Medusa is sad on a bus. Um, Let's which, remember this, listeners. Matt is in your corner. Pete is the bad man. Crystal, meanwhile, Matt, an actual ca- uh, captive, okay, uh, is in her apartment here, brought food by Oran, um, who uh, tries to steal the... Uh, the the calm there um she's able to contact medusa uh explains and maximus has her locked in her apartment black bolt and karnak made it out that she's stolen aran's calm link which you know fell off oh wait a minute that was too convenient um medusa puts together she's too smart for that they're tracking this call and she breaks the phone matt as we break the act to see Hashtag what they, it's all connected. They did there. Back we go to the local actors who also can surf. They're talking to Gorgon. They say, why get caught up in this fight? Bring the fight to you. Turn negatives into positives. With that, Gorgon, who I guess can't be tracked on his phone, wristlet, uh, he calls Maximus. He essentially says, come and get me. Um... We cut then to Karnak, who is still walking. He's still looping. Pete, here's a little thought here. Maybe he's looping in time. We cut back to Louise, Matt, who is packing. Uh, Again, another scene not glimpsed in IMAX. There's a framed photo of a man. We can assume this was a father or some other mentor figure, not yet explained. Um, But there are rockets uh, all over the little office there. She has indeed a necklace of a rocket. So clearly taking again her, her destiny, seeking out uh, what it is that uh, this man unlocked in her. Then, Pete, we move to Adelan, where Maximus wants the royal guard to take out the royal family. 
uh, Oran goes to see Eldrak, who is, uh, as it turns out, Pete, as as is implied by the name, he's a wall who can painfully transport people. He also has a family that can be hurt if she doesn't transport him. Uh, so he he kind of opens up a portal. Doesn't look particularly painful, but good news. We're sticking with Oran on this one. She arrives in Hawaii. She uh, uses her Adelan watch to turn it into an Adelan iPod. That's right, Pete. It's not just an email device, an iPod, and a cutting-edge internet browser. It is also a watch and a phone. With Aldrac, there really kind of shades of the uh, the monolith from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that could kind of, uh, you know, turn into different shapes that sucked Simmons away to the other side of the universe. So wonder if that might be explored at all, uh, given that he's a conscious character and, and not just something, uh, but definitely resonated from that standpoint. We get an act break. We come back to Black Bolt. Pete Anson Mount's acting prowess on full display here. He's in an alley. He sees a dude walk by, what, with comfy clothes of 2016 or 17. He looks at the dude. He looks at his own clothes and kind of does a wah. He goes to buy some new threads. He's mistaken to be a foreign businessman of some sort um, and uh, ends up accidentally shoplifting because he's the king. He's never paid for anything before. Pete, he's worth billions and billions of Adelan credits, okay? Here's where it goes off the rails, yes. Honolulu PD shows up in a cop car for a shoplifter, and we've talked about the disproportionate response with what went on here. Before we get to that, Pete, I think there is a passing line. If it's not here, it's later on, but I think – there is the feeling that this might be the weirdo guy who caused a kerfuffle a short time ago, i.e. when Black Bolt got to downtown Honolulu. Well, you go directly from them calling for a shoplifter for a cop to show up and draw down on him. It felt disproportionate. <laughs> There's more disproportion to come. Uh, he takes out that first cop, then then more cops start to come. They down him. I, I, I dare say appropriately with batons and tasers, given the threat he is uh, he is uh, giving there. Um, in his while he is tased, bro, he has a whisper. He might be trying to say, "Don't tase me, bro." I don't know. But he has a whisper. Really, you know, fun shot of the cop car being flipped. I appreciated. More this time than on IMAX, probably because it was shot by actual TV people just using big cameras, but it was meant visually to play on a TV where you can see the whole image uh, in, in, in its totality. But that cop car really flips around a lot. Like, however they had rigged that up, it was corkscrewing in a, in a quite impressive way. Again, mm-hmm. it was more impressive on TV than in IMAX, despite being the same thing. So figure that one out. The scene concludes with us getting a slow-mo montage of cops beating a suspect who is down. Okay, that's um, a little interesting. But anyhow, Pete, take us back to Adelan. This is where Maximus meets with our young man who can apparently tell the future. 
yet again, and he's informed once he grabs the young man's hand that uh, he saw the uh, the people in the robes there, the silver robes. They want to kill him. They're planning his death. We go back to Earth where Louise, I'll admit, Pete, I thought she was just on vacation. Duh, of course, she's taking the time off to go pursue this herself. Uh, we get some of the uh, additional information in the cab there, kind of giving her breadcrumbs for uh, for future story potential. And uh, with that, Pete, we get a scene back on Adelan with the council. Why don't you tell us all about it? Yeah, Maximus has the rest of the members of the council rounded up there. There's that uh, square little room, kind of like a rock garden, if you will, with the very interesting uh, cutouts in the wall, perfect for goons to stick rifles through a little later on. But he uh, he mentions that he does miss Katang um, and his last words. Well, they weren't really words. It was a lot of gurgling. There were guttural sounds. And uh, he hopes that they will keep those words close in their hearts as they move forward. So left with the threat and this another scene we did not see in IMAX, I thought we were going to pan away and, and cheap out on, okay, then guns fire and they were killed. Instead, they're essentially hostages. And again, another kind of good scene showing uh, how dastardly he is. I don't mind being tugged back and forth and how I feel for Maximus. Uh, I mean, it might be shades of Loki, but you know, it works for Loki. It, it works for many a character. Um, it, it's called a compelling villain. Um, we get the act break. We come back uh, to Adelan. Maximus is there to talk to Crystal. He says he just wants to talk. He's pushing her to publicly voice her approval for him. And if he doesn't, he's going to, it is implied, he's going to off Lockjaw. All right, Pete, now he's officially a full-on bad guy. Um, she kind of responds like she's acting. Yeah, she is not really when we're talking about um, Isabella Cornish. She's not the strongest performer in this ensemble. That's okay. Um, but uh, we're thankful, Matt, to be whisked away to Black Bolt being uh, booked in a rather bleak Honolulu police station. I think this might be a police, this might be a location used as a police station in Lost. I'm not sure. Um, I know that they filmed at a real place and they had to build it as a set in another episode of Lost, blah, blah, blah. Regardless, he's going to be booked. Um, we kind of just get that. It's not quite intercut, but we get the little check in there. Uh, we then get Orana tracking uh, Medusa's communication device. Uh, she gets it, uh, gets the bus, uh, the, uh, the bus driver is there, which she quickly offs him. Uh, turns out it's been a trap. Medusa also bringing the fight to herself, i.e. Gorgon. Uh, they have a, they have a fight. It, it's quite a good fight. Medusa gets thrown into the car. The little effect, uh, of, um, bits of, bits of real glass or, you know, real fake glass on her back. You know, you kind of look at it and go, oh, imagine how that, that would hurt. Then she's slow really ready to fight. Got yes. some slow motion there. Uh, meanwhile. Oh, so great in IMAX. Yeah. I don't know if it's effectively intercut though with Black Bolt 
uh, back at the station, no match to his fingerprints. Uh, seems he appeared out of nowhere. This is where they identify him back to the earlier car crash. Um, and he takes off the cuffs back to Medusa. She stabs, uh, Oran and, uh, leaves her seemingly for dead, covering up the body. You know, when you, when you stab somebody in a, in a bus yard, you know, you just want to be discreet about it. It's, it's, it's what Royals do. Okay, they learn these things. It's called elocution. Um, we head uh, back to, uh, to uh, not Maximus, rather Black Bolt, who has guns on him because he's taking the cuffs off. These are the same police who, earlier in the scene, we've had the, the, the fight interrupting the scene, where one cop suggested, you get those cuffs off, things might happen differently because we're, you know, we're showing police ready to kind of do the rough and tumble thing here, which... You know, I, I I think Pete, you and I have lots of respect for both sides of that real life discussion. It's just not well executed here that they're kind of like ready to rough him up, um, particularly with the way they're about to act, which is he communicates my handcuffs off. You take picture of me. I will go to jail. Um, so they say that out loud. Then they 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 line him up to take his picture, and then the one guy goes photographer, and all the cops walk away from him yeah it's a serious story sin uh meanwhile he's contacted he's able to receive a phone call matt as all of this is not going on um it's medusa she's near the city they're going to return to adelan they're going to catch maximus they're going to throw his body off of (laughs) uh a building um they're not defeated uh, it, it was quite a bit. And then she takes, uh, Oren's gun, um, and Black Bolt gives up his phone, which I think could be a little bit of an issue moving forward now that he's incarcerated. Maybe it's a story point for the future. Pete, when it comes back, we're going to say, Hey, that Scott Buck left us a little breadcrumb to come back to. So let's just be confident. We're going to see that again. Uh, with that, Pete, we head to what I think are the mines of Moria, um, uh, there Maximus is promising the end of the meritocracy. He, he's going to get his little psychic pal there. The, the systems, you know, getting turned over power to the people, man, they're all unionizing and, and whatnot. Um, uh, Maximus gives a, a, uh, I say hollow speech, but you know, we've been ma- using that and words similar on our discovery. I Star Trek podcast by fantastic geek podcast. So I'll say it's kind of that projected speech. He talks about we are the change that we seek. We will have a new beginning. I'm, I'm kind of team Maximus on this at this moment anyway. Um, with that, Pete, we start to wrap up. Emotional finish here. Intercut with Gorgon searching Medusa, you know, on the run. Black Bolt going to the lockup to end the act. But Pete. Uh, there's we, one you one you missed. And I think I it, miss, Pete? it was newly added for this. We had Crystal pull a picture of her parents out of a book, um, which... You know, we know that uh, she is sisters with Medusa um, and could be away, could be away, given that she's the captive, that maybe Maximus is able to uh, uh, put a wedge in between. Um, but, uh, 
you know, we've, we've placed all our characters in, in different spots here between Gorgon with the Serpers, Karnak sleeping under the moon, Black Bolt looking at the moon as all of the speech is going down. We break that act. We're told to stay tuned for more Marvel. And uh, it's night in that bus yard, Matt. And uh, Oren wakes. She takes the knife out of her belly. She then does some Mr. Miyagi thing where she uh, fixes her wound um, and contacts Maximus, telling him she needs backup. And now let's take a look at some royal pains. Pete, surely top of the list has got to be Maximus. He's he's a rascal. He's up to no good. He's upsetting the order of things. Yes, I'm not entirely unsympathetic with the order needing to be upset, but Pete, he's doing so by dastardly means. And uh, just want to mention again, no joke here in that weirdly sexual feeling scene where he where he is brutalizing medusa which was incongruous to the rest of the rest of the flavor of these two episodes well you seem to really sympathize with him matt i i don't know i mean do you really feel he belongs on our list of villains here um i feel he does given some of the evil that he perpetrates and the evil people that he sends out he is the general that has had, uh, you know, that has ordered the death of uh, of the royal family, or at least specific members of it, Gorgon and uh, and Black Bolt, kill or capture the others. Um, I, I would suspect too that probably his motives of power to the people, man, Pete, he's probably one of these, you know, like populist blowhards, all like I'm gonna I'm gonna make Adelan great again. Just stick with me. When really all he wants to do is just sit in the chair and feel good about his short little self. I like the call out that you gave to Loki. Um, that really, uh, you know, resonates with me given what we've seen. Um, certainly, he can be cold blooded, but I don't doubt for a minute. Um, his internal thought process, he's slighted. Uh, he has not shown any powers. He's, you know, mocked as, as a human amongst inhumans. Um, and he uses this boy here. He's had one prophecy given to him come true. Uh, he's been told secondhand by another character about a prophecy and seen that come to pass. And now he's trying to prevent a third one, these uh, council members planning for his death. So, um, I mean, definitely dastardly by my account. Um, but, you know, I, I can see the tortured nature in him. I, I'm interested to see how much more we get of his brother and him as they were younger to maybe see things unfold, to see when he didn't develop powers in the way that his brother did and, and, you know, favored son who happened to have the powers who killed his parents and, and how exactly that went. 
Pete, surely we can agree that uh, Oran, who kills the uh, the genetic high priest, who's ready to kill, let's see, Medusa on sight, who is uh, then presumably ready to kill Gorgon, ready to kill Black Bolt if she gets him. So right now we're three for three with people that are out there. Something tells me, you know, just go for the go for the golden sombrero of you know killing. I know that's three goals or three bad things or whatever, but she's then going to go to kill Kar- uh, Karnak as well. Um, surely she's a baddie, right? I mean, she she's a supposedly dead villain who comes back at the end. She's got to be. And I was really hoping we would see Sonya Balmore stick around. I'm, I'm glad that she did. Um, I like her haircut. Uh, absolutely. I mean, she's, she presents a striking image. And I'm not even saying that, you know, like just – She's a great she's a great looking character. She has that kind of stealth of a terminator and, and no joke. And now for some royal thoughts. Pete, here's the first one. Maybe uh how do I put this without upsetting anyone? Maybe we don't blame Scott Buck for the incongruity of Karnak's powers. Maybe there is some all unifying thing, which we're going to find out like really soon. Cause not for nothing. We are mental calculation here. We are 25% through this limited series. Um, maybe some sort of time thing, you know, he's, he's able to go back in time in the, in the clearest use of the power. He's able to anticipate a future with the serving wench uh, with this. Perhaps I don't quite understand how the, direction gets into it but the fact that he's back where he started maybe that's some sort of time loop i like that we've stripped him of his powers but not clearly defining them other than not being able to tell what direction or location he's in it it really doesn't help um you know put put a line in there oh hey you are karnak you know all like the Johnny Carson uh, guy, and uh, you also can tell what direction you're in, except when you have a bump on your head. Don't get a bump on your head, Karnak. Can we also just establish that as the day goes on, you can use the sun to give you general? You know, <laughs> He's from the West. moon, Matt. He doesn't know that. Okay, or maybe he does because he teases us that we're still using lithium batteries. Um, let's talk a little bit about Louise, though, um, and that Ellen Wuglum's character got a much bigger role uh, on TV here than she did in IMAX a mere four weeks ago tonight. Um, Matt, we, we've had sword teased uh for agents of shield season five there has previously been there will be no connection between inhumans and agents of shield okay there'll be some connection between uh inhumans and agents of shield could she be the connection does this lead to our sword group I mean, if we've learned one thing from the Iron Fist experience is that it is that when you have some of these connections, it gets it improves everything. It's the the whole, you know, raising the the, the rising tide raises all boats. 
though I don't think that we are in for an episodic tour de force for these remaining six episodes akin to um, the Hydra reveal, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one, akin to uh, the missing Simmons in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, akin to the, the great metaphor and, and exploration of uh, faith and, and whatnot that we've had in Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, uh, Daredevil. It, it can only make this better if we sit and go, oh my goodness, they were setting up somebody who's going to show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It doesn't need to be the connection. It doesn't need to be, let's flash back to Agent Carter because coming this winter, Agent Carter, it could just be her her character continues on in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in space. I would love that. And let's hear some royal correspondence. Indeed, Pete, we'll, we will start with a poll that we, that we ran on Twitter at the conclusion of this episode. Thoughts on Inhumans, we're podcasting now, because Pete, we like, our, uh, we like our, our feedback hot and fresh. Uh, the four categories, Pete, I was going for a four-point rubric here, Click, kicking it old school. Top vote, Emmy-worthy, next, Shields equal, next, better than expected, last was Yuck. It got 4% Emmy-worthy, 4% Shields equal, 38% better than expected, 54% said yuck. So harsh words there. Uh, let's continue on the Twitter machine here for some uh, reactions of people. Uh, our, our most wise pal, uh, ZP International, that's at ZP International, said overall not good, but some retooling could make it a marvel. Pete, do you remember... That first winter of doing the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast where it was like, look, I think we just went to one of the worlds shown in Thor, but this wasn't the Thor cleanup episode. It was another episode, and there's like an alien ghost phasing in and out. I would say this was better than that. It is. And again, you know, we're nearly 200 hours into Marvel TV, so it, it can't all be the highest of the highs there, there have to be other things. Um, you know, that being said, I, I think the poor word of this has, has colored some people to it already. Um, you know, on Facebook, there was some discussion there and, and our good friend, Mary Kirk, uh, she posted 10 minutes into this show and it's already painful this before she had to bail because she's got an early flight tomorrow and, and didn't get to watch this. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's decay in the ratings to that second hour from people who are like, all right, man, this, this might not be the thing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, but quite a, quite a bit of back and forth discussion about lame CGI, uh, not caring about characters, uh, there's even a, 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 I just can't even <laughs> thrown in there, Matt. Um, and, uh, I, I think, you know, that even Lockjaw is, uh, being given a, a hard time by some people. I mean, not this reviewer, but, uh, you know, shows that, that the knives are out for this. Um, can it be salvaged? I, I don't think anything is unsalvageable. Um, uh, but just as a quick, just as a quick aside about Lockjaw, the scene where he is, you know, knocked out. 
I think there is something wrong with the scale there. Like it looks like he shrinks as he lays down. I think it's just it's not in that moment, that is not a great execution of an effect. I love Lockjaw and everything about him. And when you say something mean about him, I want to hurt you. Uh, there was one more uh, conversation back and forth on Twitter. At Wicked Theory said, yes, this Inhumans premiere is rough at times, but it's not the roaring dumpster fire the internet promised me. Uh, somebody replied, uh, Brody Marshall replied, give them a chance just like us. It'll make us feel better. Uh, Brody then tagged a bunch of people, us included. I replied, I can say that the small amount of scenes added over the IMAX release have made it markedly better. Uh, then Brody's response was, that should make it get high ratings and get it renewed for season two. I will respectfully disagree that the addition of scenes to a show whose buzz is awful, that's not going to make people watch the episode. I mean, I know there is the world of Live Plus Three and many shows, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. included, live in that world of, hey, you need to see it after all. But I think that Look, we could love the next six episodes. I think the writing is already on the wall that they're not going to get the ratings. Somebody else on Twitter earlier, earlier in the day said, this is going to get a 2.0 rating. This will be lucky if, it's get, if it gets a 1.0 rating in my book. I was totally wrong about Oroville. We'll see. I'll be the first one to admit if I'm wrong. But I don't think this is going to – I think we're going to have lower ratings for this than S.H.I.E.L.D. Time's going to tell. They're both in the uh, on the same night. Um, getting the eight to nine, eight and nine tonight, uh, moving to nine o'clock next week and giving it a chance to settle in. And again, that the word is out there publicly complete series does not seem to be, uh, really inspiring in terms of a second season. We'll just have to see, um, we're, we're getting that agents to shield. I have to think Matt next week when we attend New York comic con, we will get a date hope so uh with that pete let's just say a big thanks as we start this latest adventure big thanks to everybody on patreon.com slash fantastic geek we could not do this without you in fact there are sometimes we go ash we do this show hey at what point does we podcast everything in the marvel cinematic community what point does that maybe have to to pause just because of other things but we know that you're listening we love that you support us we want to keep at all of this and we thank you so much for uh for being along for the ride and for helping us with our costs of uh, bandwidth and storage and whatnot and a lot of that behind the scenes stuff uh is all made possible by our patrons so thank you it's a reverse adelan matt they they keep us from being hidden on the moon and instead help us power this thing that we do so thank you Everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of levels that you can donate at. Uh, so please go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the PH all one word and check it out today. If you're listening to this on the pop culture podcast by fantastic geek, we will be back on Sunday night is the goal. Monday is the guarantee uh, to talk the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, which I, I feel just so effervescent about. And uh, if you're listening to us on the Inhumans feed, of course, we'll be back next Friday or Saturday to talk more Inhumans as well. Although we won't be next Friday, Pete. Why is that? 
That will be because we will be in the greatest city in the world, New York, for New York Comic Con. Uh, Friday, uh, we, we don't have as full a schedule, uh, but unfortunately we will be away from our TVs to, uh, bring you in humans that night. Um, and then we have a rather big Saturday, uh, Matt, it, it's going to be a, a marathon. We've got, uh, we've got agents of shield, star Trek discovery, the punisher and the walking dead consecutively <laughs> at the theater at Madison Square Garden. So, uh, you know, that that's that's the 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 climax of those uh, those days we plan on being there. Uh, but we're going to bring you uh, everything we can to update those different feeds, um, you know, just uh, stay on top of uh, what we do. We're going to have all sorts of surprises. Yeah, we will certainly be podcasting the next uh, the next Inhumans episode as soon as possible. Um, gotta <laughs> got, gotta physically be home to be recording that, but we, we're going to get that to you as soon as possible. And then we're going to promise every uh, every Friday or Saturday getting to you on that. And uh, Pete, we would love to hear people's uh, more in depth thoughts for Inhumans. Uh, how can people be in touch with you, Pete? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,490 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter, is looking back lost. You can be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Leave a comment. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. That Instagram feed, Pete, is about to blow up as we do New York yes. Con stuff. Uh, and uh, Fantastic Geek on both of those. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. We're blowing up there as well. I have a real feeling that uh, Star Trek Discovery has uh, resonated with a whole new group of fantastic listeners. We have the best fans, the best listeners, so like it today. And we look forward to seeing some of you at New York Comic Con. If you're going to be there, please do reach out. We love to, you know, sometimes we just run into people. People see, you know, I have the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast pins on my back, and they'll go, oh, are you, you know, such and such? Yes, hey, how's it going? We always love running into people like that. Reach out, hey, let's meet here, shake hands, take a picture, whatever it is, you know. We, we, we love seeing some of those people year after year. Love me, making new friends there, Pete. So it's always a great, great time if you're going to be there. If not, hey, you can listen to all our adventures on the Pop Culture Podcast. With that, Pete, I will say it's my sign language for audio staller listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Well, that didn't work. Let's try again. <laughs>